Thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, I really appreciate it. And this week's podcast is another retelling of a newsletter that I did on June 10th, 2021. And here we go. It is strange what memories stick with us over time. I lived in Missouri until the age of nine. I remember there was a radio broadcaster, Paul Harvey, who used to tell mesmerizing stories. I remember on countless occasions sitting in parking lots of a grocery store, the mall, or Walmart, listening to the story of the day. Some stories were fabulous, others were good, and on rare occasions, some would be meh. Meh wasn't even a word I knew in my preteen years. But what always stood out to me was the ending to every story was, and now you know the rest of the story. Last week, I left you with the teeniest cliffhangers. And whatever you do, please don't compare this to anything Paul Harvey created back in the day. He is a master of storytelling cliffhangers. If you didn't read last week's newsletter or need a what happened on Shameless last week type of recap, I mentioned two tastings I attended with a small group where the wine and the person presenting the wine were front and center. Last week, I focused on my inability to choose the correct year of a six-year blind tasting vertical of Lavinia's Elton Vineyard Pinot Noir. Like last week, I will describe the tasting but not reveal the winery until the very end. There might be some dead giveaways along the way for this one, if you have been a long-time reader. If you guess who the winery is before the end, please don't be afraid to brag about it and, you know, let me know. I would say hit that reply button, but you're not reading the newsletter. This is a podcast. So send me a DM or something on Instagram if you figured it out. The group for this tasting was five people, including myself. If you remember a couple of weeks back when I wrote about Bryn Mawr, I mentioned sitting down with Karen tasting through a nice flight. I asked Karen if she had ever been to Redacted. Her response was no, but I'll make sure to get it on my list of places to visit. Your recommendation of Abbott Claim was spot on and was spectacular. There is more discussion about Abbott Claim, but I have to keep my tangents to a minimal. Karen and her husband were in attendance for the tasting, along with a couple other people from our little wine tasting circle. One person had been here before, Monica, and wanted to come back. The other person, Eric, heard me talk about this winery so much to say his curiosity was piqued is an understatement. I do have to diverge a little bit and talk a bit about the weather on the day of the tasting. Why? Well, it was Memorial Day. Throughout pretty much the whole U.S., everyone is celebrating the start of summer with hot days. People are grilling out with hot dogs and hamburgers, and it is the official start of summer. For us Oregonians, the official onset of summer is July 5th. I mentioned this because it was a freaking hot as Batuskis on Memorial Day. I was a little worried about the tasting and the heat with it, with it all being inside of a tent. Eric and I carpooled to the tasting. We got there early and had a chance to chat with the winemaker a little bit. I had this ongoing conversation with him about barrels. Back a couple months ago, we started talking about the differences between loose and tight grain barrels. I brought this subject up to a sommelier at Domain Street. He brought to the conversation that he recently saw this winemaker 
and mentioned this oblong cigar-ish shaped barrel currently being used for the shard. Looking at the time, I noticed we had a solid 10 minutes before everyone else showed up. So I had to ask, can I see this cigar-ish shaped barrel? Without hesitation, Eric and I followed the winemaker into the barrel room. The excitement and enthusiasm the winemaker brings to this table is nothing short of contagious. It was getting close to the time for others to show up. The winemaker shows us to the tent. Stepping inside, there are hardwood floors, a table with glasses all set up, and an AC unit to make sure we don't die from the unusual organ heat. Looking around and figuring out what seat to occupy, I blurt out, wow, this is nice. The winemaker's reply is something like, yeah, this is where I sleep during harvest. I can see how awful this would be during harvest with a little wood pellet fed stove for heat. Side note, I have a pretty good feeling he doesn't sleep in the tent alone. I can also imagine how exhausted he is when sleep finally does occur. Still, I can see some fantastic stories and bonding transpire with other winemakers in this space. Kind of makes me think of the days of sleeping in AC tents while in Kuwait. Oh, the stories. I sent a text to Monica and Karen, asking them to let me know when they arrived. I wasn't sure if they would be able to find us in the tent or not. So the winemaker, being the gracious person that he is, went outside to greet them. When everyone gathered around the table, the winemaker poured some proper champagne and the tasting began. The team for this winery is small, but super intimate. It is the winemaker and a wife and husband power team. The three met while the winemaker was assistant to a winemaker to a big time winery here in Oregon. I would tell you who, but that was, would probably give it away with too many details. Remind me towards the end of the story during the reveal, and I will tell you who the big time winemaker is. The winery's three person team has traveled to other wine regions outside of the U.S., including Champagne. The sparkling bean poured stood out to the team during one of their trips. Knowing the winery for a bit, I realized they were harvest grapes from their Parrot Mountain vineyards this fall. I had to ask the question, are you going to make a sparkling? Going off my memory, the winemaker's response was something like, I don't think 2021 will be the vintage to start the program. Reading in between the lines, big time, there will be bubbles three or four years down the road. If I am mistaken, I am pretty sure I'll get an email telling me no, we are not doing sparkling, in which I will have to update the newsletter and tell you I was sadly mistaken in the newsletter last week. There will be no bubbles for redacted. Okay, here's a side note. Here we are. We're in 2023. This isn't in the newsletter, so I'm just going off script here. This winery actually picked grapes in 2023 for sparkling this year. So we just have to wait three to five more years for this producer to have sparkling. All right, back to the script. Speaking of bubbles, I am doing an Oregon Bubbles Sparkling Report coming out in September. I am so freaking excited. I currently have a list of over 30 wineries producing bubbles in Oregon. This will be a fan-freaking-tastic. And what is it about bubbles that gets us so excited? Oh, the tasting. Yes, back to the tasting. Sorry. After bubbles, we had the 2018 Chardonnay from the Seven Springs Vineyard. I absolutely freaking love this Chardonnay. It is wild, feral, and the loose grain barrel it set in for many months 
couldn't tame it one bit. I had a sneaking suspicion we would be trying the 2019 Chardonnay as well. And I was right. I was so excited to get a sneak peek before its release in the fall. My impression of the first sip was, this is not like the 2018. It is different. I'm not sure what to think about it this very second. And the winemaker chimed in with, you can taste the reductiveness. Let's talk reductive from the teeniest bit. You've heard me talk about the black Chardonnay method, where the grapes are pressed super hard as a result. A crazy amount of oxygen is brought into the process, turning the grape juice almost black for a while before turning back to its golden color. Reductive is the exact opposite, in my opinion. The winemaker does everything in his or her power to ensure there is very little oxygen introduced during the winemaking process. Thinking back on a podcast with the winemaker at Bryn Mawr, Rachel, she was asked, is wine art? I won't dive into Rachel's thoughts, but hands down, white is an artistic expression on many levels. One of those expressions comes through with the winemaking process. The reductiveness of the 2019 Shard is a creative expression. I need to revisit this bottle again during the fall release. I was taken off guard, expecting something like the 2018. I don't feel like I gave it the proper attention it needed with my preconceived expectation. Next up was the 2019 Rosé, and I always, always, always love to watch other people's faces when they see this Rosé for the first time. With four to five days of skin contact, this Rosé is dark in color. It is far from your standard salmon color. Everyone enjoyed it, and the high acid on this is an expression the winemaker puts on it to ensure it will age for quite a bit. Sitting in the tent with the winemaker and four other people is nothing short of spectacular for me. I know there can be a notion that sitting with a winemaker is intimidating. I totally get it on many levels. There is something about the winemaker, though. Maybe it is because I have known him for a little bit, but I feel it is his nature to be a person who enjoys sitting with customers, talking through the wines. As I mentioned, they have some vines on Parrot Mountain, and maybe one day they will have a tasting room. The winemaker wants to keep a close connection with the customers. He wants to sit down, have conversations while getting to know you. If you were to look up the word arrogant, this winemaker is the exact opposite of that definition. While sitting in a tent, we had some small visitors of the flying kind with stingers. Some of us ignored them and others were like, eek, nope, this sucks. The winemaker watched, observed, and was ready to remove the wasp from the tent to release them back into the wild. Think about that for a second. When a wasp comes into our house, most of us grab a shoe to smash the ever-living crap out of it. An artist of wine understands the importance of nature in the vineyard. Wine is a result of nature. I've been diving into biodynamic farming, and wow, what a fun little rabbit hole. I asked the winemaker how the Parrot Mountain Vineyard was getting farmed. His response was, Jessica Cortell is managing the vineyard. If you know Jessica, nothing else is needed in the conversation. She does tremendous work and is a fantastic person. The next wine in the lineup was the 2017 Redacted Pinot Noir. It is a combination of a couple different vineyards and is gorgeous. It has an outstanding balance of dark fruit and bright fruits mid-palate and the slightest of spice on the finish. 
I was very excited for the next pour, which was the 2018 Luminous Hills Pinot Noir. This vineyard is higher in elevation, and I adore the ever-loving heck out of it. If you enjoy a nice dark pinot with slight tannins and a blossoming spice finish, this is the pinot for you. As a winemaker was stepping out to get some other pours, I want to share with you a small conversation with the proprietor of the winery. She is currently living in Kentucky and was in town early spring. Sometime last year, she emailed me after I did a newsletter and the newsletter was on, on a winemaker that she had never had any of his wines and asked if I ever got a chance to pick up a bottle for her. Back in December, I had the opportunity to pick up one of these bottles for the proprietor. So recently, when I found out she was in town, I coordinated with her to drop off the bottle and pick up, you know, some wine for my overindulgent spring shipment. I mentioned that they should send out more emails to their list than talking with her, but she doesn't want to bombard her list with emails. I tried to persuade by saying one email a month wouldn't hurt at all. To appease me, she kind of agreed, but deep down, she doesn't want to send emails just for the sake of sending emails. I respect this mentality big time, and it says a lot about the brand itself. Earlier this month, an email did go out, and they bragged a little bit on the scores they received. If scores are your thing, take a gander. The 2018 Seventh Spring Chardonnay, 96 points. 2018 Redacted Pinot Noir, 94 points. 2018 Nisa Vineyard Pinot Noir, 96 points. 2018 Luminous Hills Pinot Noir, 96 points. 2019 Rosé of Pinot Noir, 92 points. When the winemaker came back into the tent, he presented us with a four-bottle vertical of their Nisa Vineyard Pinot Noir. Wowzers, what a treat! More than a handful of you reading this already know the winery I am talking about this week. You already know how much I adore the heck out of them. To show up with a four-year vertical is an unimaginable surprise. We started with the 2016 Nisa and went to the 2019 Nisa. I seriously wanted to stay in the tent for the next three hours and hang out. I was in pure bliss. All of them were stunning, but let's call out the 2019 real quick. Typically, the Nisa Pinot Noir isn't released until the spring, but the winemaker thinks it's ready now. I couldn't agree more. It was great. I am curious to see if it gets an early release in the fall this year. Two plus hours flashed by like a heartbeat, and finishing with the Nisa Pinot Noirs was absolutely marvelous. Who knows how long I could sit down with Andrew and the wines that he makes at Aldeant. Throw in Till and her husband, Dan, from Kentucky into the mix, and I think we would have an all-day event on our hands. When I think Oregon wine, it is a feeling of good people driven to share a spirit of kindness and warmth while making wine to blow the socks off your feet. For some of you, the newsletter this week is no surprise. For others, I hope you make an appointment with Andrew to try his wines and share an experience of what Oregon wine is all about. Audeant. May they dare, may they venture, may they risk. Also, when you make an appointment with Andrew, let him know AJ sent me.